we've looked at we're in Acts, we're in Acts 18, and we've looked at uh, at Paul just bouncing from moving from town to town, from strategic city to strategic city in Turkey and now in modern day Greece, Macedonia. And he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching to Jews first and then he'll move to Gentiles. He'll go to the synagogue almost uh, invariably first in the, in a city. And, and give the Jews a chance, and typically he'll be rejected by most of them, and then move to the Gentiles. Um, in Romans eleven three, this super Jew Paul is called the apostle to the Gentiles. And you know, last last chapter we looked at how Paul moves from um, Thessalonica where he's largely rejected, run out of the city, to Berea, where he's warmly received by what uh, Luke, the author of Acts, calls their more noble people. And they consider and reason about Paul's, um, Paul's message, the gospel. And they take it back to the scriptures, and they realize this is totally in line with the scriptures and totally what the scriptures have promised. And Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of those. And then he goes from Thessalonica and Berea, where there are two sort of polar opposite responses to the gospel message. He's rejected in one, he's received in another, to Athens, which we looked at last week. And in Athens, he, is, he enters into their worldview in order to preach something that they've missed, something they were made for, the gospel. And he, he doesn't just reject their idolatry, he steps inside of it and says, hey, you, you're very religious. You've got a lot of gods here. And I see you even have, you even have um, an altar to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you who that God is. And so we just talked about how rather than just rejecting people's worldview, whether it's LGBTQ or gender dysphoria or uh, wokeism or republicanism or democratism or big statism or capitalism or secular humanism, atheism, and on and on it goes, uh, Buddhism, I- Islam, we should understand that these are humans made by God with the imprint of God on them, searching for meaning, made by God for truth, although they're rebellion, in rebellion against the truth, if they're not believers, if they haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so, Stepping inside it, what is it that they are looking for and seeking after? And what is it about their worldview that appeals to them? What is it about their worldview that's true that I can, that I can um, affirm? And then how can I step inside that and say, but let me show you where, what you're missing and take them to Jesus. So that's kind of what Paul does in Athens. And, and it says, uh, before we move on to briefly to, to his time, In Corinth, he moves east from Athens to Corinth on his way back um, from his first missionary journey uh, back to Palestine. And in moving to, sorry, before he moves, it says right off in chapter 17 of Acts that his response to seeing all the idolatry that that these people are in the grip of, this darkness that they have been cloaked by, deceived by, is... Uh, not judgment. It's not even anger, although there's some anger mixed in there. It's um, It says that he is, uh, the Greek word is paroxysmos. He's gripped by what we, get, the English word we get from that Greek word is paroxysms. 
he's literally sent into almost seizures on the inside. It says on the inside he went into um, his spirit went into paroxysms. So he's provoked. The ESV translated he's provoked. His spirit was provoked within him. So he doesn't start shaking visibly, but he's shaking on the inside. He's so gripped by wanting by by how these people are deceived and by wanting wanting the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine on them and to set them free, which is what Jesus came for to set us free. And my prayer for anyone listening here, certainly for Sojourn Galleria, um, is for us to be gripped by that same spirit of the living God, which can I say this is what gripped the second person of the Trinity, what gripped God as he sent his son, what gripped Jesus as he came to rescue us, um, what grips us as the spirit of the living God fills us, the spirit of Jesus himself, um, when we see a lost and a hurting and a broken and a rebellious world. So may we be gripped by um, and provoked by that that spirit as well and moved to, to proclaim the gospel, to reason with people. But here in, let me move to this text in Acts 18, here in Corinth, just quite simply, sort of how do we characterize the various lessons we could learn from how Paul ministers to the Corinthians um, from the different responses he gets? I think we can, we're looking for a pattern for ministry. How do we preach the gospel? How do we make disciples? How do we know who to spend time with? Well, Paul, he really embraces what you might not know when you read Acts 18 um, is a pattern of ministry that's been given to him. He's, been, it's, he's received it maybe through the other apostles from Jesus himself. Because Jesus, if you go back to Luke 10, if you look at what Paul does, there's no explicit reference to Luke 10. There's no explicit reference to, hey, I got this from Jesus. But it's clearly he, does, he responds to the Jews and the Gentiles as they respond to his gospel message or reject it variously uh, in the same way, in the exact way that Jesus commands his disciples to go into minister and to preach the gospel. And that is, he doesn't say, uh, and if I'm labeling this, um, his, his time in Corinth, Paul's ministry in Corinth here in Acts 18, I'm going to label it, um, you know, how am I going to label it? I thought I, was gonna, I thought I had a label. I'm going to label it um, a pattern for ministry or in, in under that pattern, this, this sort of principle. We can't, there's a tendency for us to think we need to spend equal time with everyone because we, we do understand w- what is true, which is that we need to love even our enemies. We need to love everyone because God desires that none should perish and his arms are open wide for anyone who would come and the gospel should be freely proclaimed to all. Um, however, when you, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he had a call, he had a focus. He set his face like flint to Jerusalem. He even said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're in my way. You're in the way of my mission in saying that I shouldn't go to die in forbidding that. Um, when certain, he ministered to Gentiles, but oftentimes they would have to be the ones to run up to him. Um, he seemed rather harsh, wasn't, wasn't harsh, wasn't never sinful, but with some, like the Syrophoenician woman, he basically brushed, pushed aside. And uh, when she asked for deliverance for her daughter, who was demonized, and, and he said, hey, my ministry is, is not to you, it's to the Jews. He knew what his focus was, and he, did, he was not an equal opportunity minister. So I could even title this, not, you know, don't be an equal opportunity minister. In other words, okay, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Because we're supposed to love everyone. Yes, but that's not the same. Um, Jesus, his first call was to the Jews, and so he ministered to them. And then through his church, who we see in Acts here, the gospel 
is a gospel that goes from the Jews to the world, which was the original call to the Jews in the first place. But it, put, it took Jesus, the true son of God, to do what the adopted son of God, Israel, the Jews, did not do, failed to do, to open up uh, their mission to the world, to bless the world through Abraham, um, through the promise given to Abraham, to bless the all, every family of the earth. And so the blessing to the nations comes through the body of Jesus after he's ascended by his spirit, um, it comes through his church. And we see that here in Acts. But um, Paul here, what, what does Jesus say in Luke 10? He says, uh, go and minister and preach the gospel from town to town. But when you do, if, if, you're, if you meet resistance, he doesn't say give up, but he says if you meet continued resistance and opposition and your gospel is rejected, don't just stay there ad infinitum. You have a limited amount of resources. Move on, pronounce a decisive judgment against them, know that they've rejected the gospel, and in doing that, they have cursed themselves. They brought a curse on themselves because the only blessing is found in receiving the gospel, believing on Christ and being saved. Let them know that they've made the worst decision of their lives. Don't even keep the dust from their town on your feet. Dust it off, leave nothing of their town on you, and move on. Don't stay there. Keep moving. You've preached the gospel to them. You've given them a chance. If they ever come back into your lives, fine. Love them. Keep preaching the gospel, but move on. Again, you're limited. Your resources are limited. And what? What does he say? And then when you, when you continue to preach the gospel from town to town, you find a house or people who receive the gospel, receive you, and your message, he doesn't say keep moving. He says stay with them. Stay in the house and basically pour your life into those people, teaching them. I'm, I'm now taking from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Make them disciples, right? You find someone receptive to your message. They believe on Christ. Baptize them. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Make them disciples and train them to go do the same, to make disciples. And that's really our pattern for ministry. And that's really the application point that I would give here. And that's what we see Paul do. He goes to the Jews first, just like he's wont to do in Corinth. And there he's rejected. Over a number of weeks, he's roundly uh, rejected by the Jews. Although some, this is a sub-point, but it's important, some of the Jews, even a prominent Jew, the leader of the synagogue who lives next door to the synagogue, even as the Jews are rejecting him, the leader of the synagogue, Crispus by name, Crispus believes on Christ. And his whole household believes on Christ and they're all saved. And that's amazing. So I think a sub-lesson there is even, even we continue to preach the gospel faithfully, even in the midst of rejection, even if we are going to move on, which Paul does, he literally dusts his feet off and, says, and pronounces a curse on them and moves on to the Gentiles. And that's exactly, he's, what he's doing is he's following the orders of his commander, Jesus. And that's what we need to do too. But even as he does that, he continues to preach to the Jews and he obviously is ministering to a Jewish family because Crispus gets saved. It's beautiful. So he moves to the Gentiles, face forward to them, and he becomes what is now known as the, as I said in Romans eleven three, the the uh, missionary to the Gentiles, this super Jew. Kind of God does things that we just don't expect. He's always doing things we don't expect. That's one of the fingerprints of God. One of the ways we know this is a movement of God. It's not something we would have expected. It's not a choreographed pass. It's different. It's weird. It's got the mark of the real about it. Um, the planets don't move around in perfect circles. They're, they're elliptical. They're all spaced out differently. They all look different. Uranus is on its side. Some are gas giants. Some are made of rock. Some have atmospheres. Some don't, etc., etc., etc. There's a meteorite belt between the fourth and the fifth planet, and on it goes. There's a storm the size of two planet Earths on one of them. Okay, so reality is weird. 
right? Reality is weird and beautiful, and and it has the mark of a person, a tri, a, a multi-personal God about it. Well, this is the way God acts. This is the way He works. Um, and so Paul, the super Jew, becomes this super missionary to the non-Jews. How strange! How wonderful! How much sense it makes when we begin to think about it. But we don't have time for that. That's not the focus of this message, um, which needs to be short, which needs to end basically now. Um, he again in line with Jesus's command for ministry in Luke ten. He stays. He gets a word from the Lord, a discreet, particular, clear word from God saying, "Hey, you've been run out of this city, the Thessalonica. You've been run out of that city. Stay here. I've got a lot of my people in this city." What does that tell us? It tells us that God is the one doing the saving. He appoints people, but that doesn't mean, therefore, that our job we don't have a job. He basically says, he doesn't basically, he says to Paul, I have many people in this city, many are mine. And Paul doesn't therefore say, okay, well, I'm out of here. You've got yours. You're, you're going to do all that. You know, he chooses us, Romans 10. He chooses us to be the ones to take the message to people so they can believe and become God's own. You see? So we're the message that God primarily uses. How humbling, how wonderful to convey the gospel message. And so knowing that God has many in the city, God then goes on to say, to Paul, therefore, not go, stay and preach the gospel, which Paul does. He protects Paul. Sometimes he doesn't protect Paul. He's always with Paul, but each place, God's plans are different for us. And he's no less with Paul when Paul's getting stoned or whipped or beaten or shipwrecked or beheaded. But here he says, hey, stay here. I'm going to protect you physically, preach and teach. Paul does that for a year and a half in Corinth. And a very well-grounded church ends up being a very gifted church, true, but also a very immoral church that kind of goes nutso. And we get First and Second Corinthians from Paul later to that church, and so we know that. So that's an encouragement, too, that, man, you can pour and pour and pour into a people, and they can kind of be nuts. And that's, that happened to Paul, so that's really encouraging. Jesus picked 12, and one of them was a traitor, um, a betrayer, and the other was a, um, a denier but one turned and the other didn't, right? So anyway, so that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Um, our ministries won't be perfect because people aren't perfect and we're not perfect, but the gospel message is perfect and Jesus is our, he's our head. So, so Paul, what does he do? The point is he dusts his feet off with the Jews. He says, look, I've got a limited, finite amount of time. I've preached the gospel to you. You continue to reject it. I'm going to a people who are receptive. And he stays there for a year and a half and so much good is done. And we see that in the next place, which is our next lesson in Ephesus, he does the same thing. He stays there for two years teaching in the hall of Tyrannus. And boy, oh boy, all of Asia through his teaching in that one place, basically, uh, hears the gospel and many and many and many and many are converted. And I imagine many churches planted. So wonderful. The principle of preaching the gospel, scattering the the gospel seed almost indiscreetly, uh, widely, but then when we see that it takes um, and is received staying and pouring our lives out and teaching those people to do the same. Uh, and that's, that's the Great Commission command. That's the Luke 10 command. It's, it should be our pattern for ministry as we make disciples who make disciples. Um, okay. Next lesson, we will hit Ephesus.